first of all, let it be known that I did send Eric the wrong passage. Um, that was my mistake. Uh, also, I am losing my voice. Uh, I, I've already had COVID, so that's not what it is. I'm just losing my voice. Um, today, we are continuing our 13-week study through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. The Apostle John was likely an old man by the time he wrote these letters, um, and he was writing as a spiritual father to an audience that he repeatedly calls his little children. As John was writing this letter, there was a seismic shift taking place as the kingdom of God was expanding beyond the borders of Israel. And in the midst of this shift, the early Christians were facing persecution from the outside, and they were facing division from the inside. And so John writes, uh, giving them a few different reminders and encouragements to these churches in crisis. As I think we've seen over the past few weeks, John is really trying to drive home this idea that we ought to love one another. Those who love abide in the light. Those who hate walk in darkness. The children of God love the brethren, and the children of the devil do not. And this, this love for one another is rooted in the love of the Father for us. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And within our passage today, from from chapter 4, verse 7 to chapter 5, verse 5, John uses some form of the word love 34 times. And so I am pretty much obligated to make this sermon about love. Let's begin with chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God, has, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So again, John exhorts us to love one another, and he roots our mutual love in God. God is the source of true, genuine love. Those who are born of God, born of a loving Heavenly Father, will naturally resemble their Father. Love is the fruit of knowing our Heavenly Father. Now, this is not intended to disturb our our sense of assurance, Remember, John is addressing us as those who are loved by God. And he doesn't, he doesn't qualify that. He does not say God loves most of us or some of us. He does not say that God might love us, but we'll have to find out when we die. And he does not say God loves the truly spiritual among us. He just says, speaking to the members of the church, you and me, God loves us. God loves you. You see, he's casting a vision for the church. Our Father loves us, and we are going to be like him. We're going to be like him. We are born of him, and now we will learn to live according to his good example. Love is not optional for those who are born of a loving Heavenly Father. If we cannot find it within ourselves to love the people around us, both with our affections and with our actions, we have not been born of a loving father. 
And of course, we're all loveless at times. We are all sinful people. But more generally, if loving, if loving does not describe you in any way, then it does call into question whether the God who is love abides in you. Now, hang with me. I'm, I'm going to skip ahead to verse 16, and then we'll come back to verse 12. All right, verse 16. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, it, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. As we love one another, our confidence and assurance is actually perfected. The members of a genuinely loving Christian fellowship like ours have every reason to stand with confidence on the day of judgment because there is no fear in love. When our love for one another is perfected, it drives out that fear of punishment. So if you, if you struggle with assurance of salvation, I think step one is just loving other people. Get out of your head and just be like your heavenly father. In doing that, you're not earning anything. Rather, you're driving out your, your truly unfounded fears with, with true, genuine love. Okay, so, so we've seen the phrase, God is love, in two different places so far. Verse 8 and verse 12. No, verse 16, sorry. So let's talk briefly about that. The phrase, God is love, does not mean that every type of love is a sign of being born of God. I think, I think it's pretty obvious that our loves can be corrupt. We can love all sorts of sin and wickedness. So not everything we call love is from God. Not everything the world calls love is from God. And that's the difference between the phrase, God is love, and the phrase, love is God. The former is biblical, and the latter is idolatrous. Our culture worships love as God, but denies the God of love, and it just doesn't work that way. And so if you wonder, if you wonder what true, genuine love looks like, then surprise, it looks like Jesus. The love of Jesus was self-giving. He gave himself freely and sacrificially for the sake of others. But at the same time, he did not hesitate to rebuke evil and wickedness. He did not hesitate to call sin, sin. Remember um, from last week? Discerning love, loving discernment. Discerning love and loving discernment. But when, when he did that, when he exercised loving discernment, he did it out of love. His rebukes were intended to prevent harm. They were intended to liberate and to deliver. So because the Father loved the world, he sent the Son. And the Son loved the world as the perfected image of the Father. The Son flawlessly manifested the love and character of God for all to see. And this touches on one of the most distinctive things about the Christian faith. To say that God is love 
assumes that God is plural. Triune. God can be love because he exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Love must be directed outward. The love of self, right? That's not genuine love. Love has to be directed outward. And so the phrase, God is love, is really only good news if God is Trinity. If God is not Trinity, the phrase, God is love, implies that he is self-obsessed. And that would be very bad news for us. But God is not self-obsessed. He is self-giving eternally self-giving. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have been eternally giving themselves to one another in love, giving themselves away in love. And now they have given themselves fully to us and folded us into that fellowship. And when we think about it that way, it becomes very clear why love is such an urgent priority in the church. If God is love, and we have been grafted into the fellowship that is God, we have to take that seriously. Love is just who we are now. As he is, so also are we in this world. Love is just who we are now. God is love, so also are we in this world. We are love. And that brings me to verse 12. The entire sermon hinges on verse 12. So, so listen, listen closely. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. At, at first glance, it's tough to see how this could even be a complete thought. The sentence does not seem to be all that coherent. All right, no one has ever seen God, semicolon, sentence continues, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What, what's going on here? In the first half of the sentence, I think John is presenting us with a problem. No one has ever seen God. God is invisible. In the second half of the sentence, John is giving us the solution to that problem. And the solution is our love for one another. The problem of God's invisibility is solved by our love for one another. This is why John says in verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Loving one another is actually a primary way in which we love God. That's how we show love toward God. You see, when the Word became flesh, when Jesus became a human being, the invisible God was made visible. Think back to chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. Jesus was visible. However, he is no longer available to for us to see and hear and touch. That's true of us. That was true of John's audience. He is no longer available for us to see and hear and touch. And that is a problem. But it's also true that the bodily presence of Jesus remains on the earth in the form of the church. 
We are the body of Christ. We are the flesh of Christ in the world. God is made tangible, visible, audible through the love that we have for one another. Once again, verse 17. As he is, so also are we in this world. This is so important for us to see. This is so important for us to believe about ourselves. We are not just playing church. We are not just checking a box because that's what nice religious people do. We are the presence of God in the world. We're the body of Christ, the flesh of Christ in the world. That is an incredible responsibility. It's also a nearly unbelievable privilege. We are responsible for showing the world what God is like. Not just telling them what he's like, but showing them what he's like with the way that we love one another. You see, the the believability of the gospel largely depends upon our communal witness. The gospel is not just a message in a vacuum. The gospel always comes within the context of the church's love and, and how that love is seen and perceived by the world around us. Loving God looks like loving people. And then, and then John reverses that, and, but that statement. Not, not only does loving God look like loving people, loving people looks like loving God. Chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For John, see, there's, there's no tension between love and obedience. The love of God and the commandments of God are not opposites. They're not on a spectrum. They are closely related. Often we see law and gospel pitted against one another, as if they were a threat to one another. But John is talking about what it means to live the Christian life, and he does not hesitate to say that obedience is an essential element But our our discipline and our obedience should be motivated by love and saturated in love. And our love is chiefly expressed in the keeping of God's commandments. As we read from Psalm 85, steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Love and obedience are not opposites. In fact, in God, they kiss each other. Let's think about this um, practically. What does it mean for a Christian man to love a female member of the church? A man's love for his sister in Christ should look like obeying God's commandments. He should esteem her. He should guard and protect her dignity. He should not lust after her. You see, his, his love takes the form of obedience to God's commandments. What does it mean to love a member of your parish who is caught in sin? Your love for that person should look like obeying God's commandments. You should confront that person with grace and patience. You should offer to help. You should resist the temptation to gossip. It's obeying God's commandments. What does it mean for a Christian employer to love her employees? 
the employer's love for employees should look like obeying God's commandments. She should treat them with respect. She should pay them a generous, decent wage. She should provide a day for rest and Sabbath. In short, on a practical level, loving others always looks like obeying God's commandments. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, I'm going to close with uh, chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So, again, John, John talks a lot about love in this letter. But he also talks a lot about overcoming. He talks a lot about victory. And the faith that overcomes the world is faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, chapter 5, verse 1, and Jesus is the Son of God, chapter 5, verse 5. If we we were to do a word study on those, we would see that, in other words, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To believe this and then to live accordingly is to overcome the world. And so John doesn't want us merely to endure, merely to persevere, merely to survive in this world. John wants us to triumph. But even this triumph, even, even this overcoming of the world, is really a matter of faith. Because often it looks like the world is overcoming us, right? And when that happens, we should look to the example of Jesus. He did not overcome by defeating the Romans in battle at the Garden of Gethsemane. He did not overcome by pleading his case with Pilate. He did not overcome by pulling himself down from the cross. He overcame by self-sacrifice. His triumph was through death. That doesn't mean we have to die to triumph. It just means that there is nothing the world can do to harm us. There's nothing the world can do to harm us. We cannot lose. Sometimes the church overcomes in a way that looks like victory, and sometimes the church overcomes in a way that looks like defeat. Either way, we overcome. Let's pray. Father, you are good to us. You loved us first. You've made us your children. And we, Father, we want, to, we want to be like you. Jesus, you are not only the king of kings, you are the example of examples. You are the, the perfect image of the loving Father. So, so we thank you for leading the way in self-sacrificial love. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bring John's vision, the vision that he's casting here, bring it to bear in us and around us and through us. Fill us and inspire us to live and to love like Jesus. To love one another and to love our neighbors. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.